City Church and friends of City Church, thanks for joining in, tuning into this. I hope that you are engaging with this in a time that you can uh, give as much of your heart's attention to this as possible. And because uh, my, my hope is actually that you would hear from God through His Word today, not from me, um, and not any of my ideas, but His ideas for you, and that He might meet you in this. And so, to, to, you know, to that end, would you even just stop now and ask God what He has for you this morning? Ask Him to teach, teach your heart. Uh, this morning or today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this, uh, ask him to, to speak to your heart, even in these moments. And then would you, uh, if you could, just be honest with him about what's, what's weighing, weighing on you. Uh, coming into this time, uh, let that go. Uh, surrender that to him. Let let him uh, hear that, because he cares about you. Would you Would you share with him what's weighing on your heart? What's might, might even be keeping you from hearing what he has to say to you this morning, or today. Heavenly Father, would you meet? Would you meet us in this moment? Would you meet us in these moments, God? Speak to our hearts. Would you help us to engage with you here? God, we want to hear from you. We want to be known by you and know you. We want more of you. Would you meet us here in these moments, God? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'll tell you, as, we're, as you're turning to Psalm 16, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 16. That's where we're going to start off today. And uh, you can push pause and grab, grab a Bible if you need to, um, or turn to, turn to it on your app. But Psalm 16 is where we'll be. And as you're go, getting there, I'll tell you, my, I can remember this, this football game in, in, as I played as a freshman in high school, and there was nothing really consequential about the football game. I don't even remember if we won or lost. I think that we won, but it, it doesn't, it's not the thing I remember most about that game. It was, uh, it was a strange game because it was played earlier in the day, and it was way across town. I, I grew up in this town, a smaller town west of Houston, and we were playing on you know, southeast Houston, somewhere really kind of far away. And, um, and I remember thinking that my mom and dad weren't going to be able to make it to this football game. And so it was kind of just a field trip with my team. And we, we got over there and um, we were playing the game. I looked up and I saw, saw a cowboy hat. And, and I was like, oh, man, that's my dad. And because I saw the cowboy hat first, he always wears cowboy hats. And uh, he, he actually works way across town from where we were playing that football game, not even just from where we lived. It was, he worked way on the other side of Houston. And so it was shocking to me. I was like, oh, man, my dad made it to this game. And for, for whatever reason, that's what I remember most about the game, is that my dad was present there. And uh, I don't remember anything else, just that my dad came. And, and on, that's a, kind of the positive end of this idea of presence. On the negative end, I, I heard recently about how, uh, how this certain soldier was deployed, and during his deployment, his wife had, had their baby, and he wasn't there for the first months of this baby's life. And so he comes back home after, you know, he gets to come back home, and uh, I just was thinking how painful that would be, how, how like, how fresh, I, that, that's like one of my worst nightmares is to not be able to be present uh, in moments like that and for parts of my kiddos' lives and just how much that matters to me, this, this idea of presence. And so for you, if you could, you could even just stop and think, 
you know, about a time where somebody's presence or lack of presence really impacted your life. I bet you can come up with some stories of how presence has mattered to you. And uh, for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to look at is just that, this idea of presence. And I'm not even sure if this is a series. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I don't have a master plan on this of any kind other than I just know that this in, is what our church needs right now. Like, I'm, I'm leaning into this. There are some series that we're going to hopefully get to teach through in the coming weeks. But this, this um, kind of got pushed to the front for me this week because I'm convinced it's what our church needs. We've spent a lot of energy and uh, uh, kind of recalibrating our strategy to be able to connect with one another. It's a big deal for us. We want to build connections that fuel worship. And those aren't just words that we say. We believe that the connections we have with other people can actually help fuel our worship. And so there's lots of Zoom calls that you've been on. Uh, There's lots of videos that you've engaged with. There's tons of things that you're doing to connect with one another digitally right now and and that's important it's not not important it's definitely an important thing as humans we were actually made to connect with one another we were made to be present with one another which we're going to talk more about in coming weeks but but i i just want to acknowledge it's a good thing that we're doing that it's not a wrong thing to be connected with one another is actually part of your deepest kind of fundamental needs as a human being Uh, god looked at a person that he created who was in the midst of paradise literally everything was perfect except that they were all alone and he said this isn't right i'm making a another one. And uh, so he created community there in the garden. Uh, That was what he was doing. He was making sure that this person wasn't alone because being connected to one another is a big deal. But I'll be honest with you, that's not what has weighed on me this week. There are calls you can be on and ways that you can connect with one another. Um, But as a pastor, uh, the urgency that I feel, the weight that I feel right now is towards seeing you connect with God. It's urgency I feel for my own heart right now is that I would connect with God, that you would connect with God. And so how can I help you, encourage you, equip you, shepherd you towards connecting with God? Those are the things that are weighing on me this week. And so there's an urgency for me on, that, on helping, helping equip you and encourage you to do that. And the reason why is because I'm convinced of this, that you are made for God's presence. You are made to be in His presence. You are made for His presence. And so let's look at Psalm 1611 and see what it says about God's presence. This is is a psalm written by David. David was a warrior king. He was the one who killed Goliath, right? So threw threw a stone, just took out a giant and went on to to defeat lots of armies. He's a warrior king, but he's also an artist, a songwriter. And uh, he wrote a bunch of the psalms. And uh, this is the end of one of his psalms where he was just sort of celebrating how, how kind God has been to him in the way that uh, life looks for them right now, but also his trust and belief that uh, there's still more to be found. There's still a better future for him with God. In the very end of this psalm, in verse 11, he says this. He says, speaking to God, singing to God, you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you can just stop even and reread it for yourself. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so what does that mean? What is David saying? 
it's fairly straightforward. Uh, he makes known to him the path of life. And so he's leading David down the path to where life can be really found. And then with that, he says, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. If you want to know the upper limits, the upper bounds, the maximum amount of joy that can be experienced by a human being, then you're going to find that in the presence of God. And then he says, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That means being with God. You'll never, your imagination will run out of uh, concepts of pleasure before uh, God's, uh, God's goodness runs out, before uh, the pleasures of God that you experience in his presence before they run out. Your imagination will run out first. And, uh, and I may not know you, I may not know you personally, but I know that this is what you long for. I'm certain of it. Blaise Pascal, who's a philosopher, theologian, mathematician, he said it this way. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. So whatever you're doing, you're actually doing that. Even if it's destructive or um, kind of self-harming, there's the, the, the reality is somewhere back behind there you think happiness is found and joy is this deep soul-level gladness that really trumps all happiness as well. But that, that is what you are longing for as a person. It's what you long for. And so David, he, he taps into this and he says, that thing you're longing for, the fullness of joy, that's in God's presence. He's singing it to God. He says, God, I know at your right hand there's pleasures forevermore. It's what I'm looking for. And, um, and maybe, maybe, maybe David was just an artist who was looking for a good lyric, right? Maybe that's just the song that he was trying to get you to uh, sing, and so he made it as catchy as he could. Um, but I don't think that's the case, actually. I, I don't think he was just writing down a lyric. It's not a one-off idea in the Scriptures. This, this reality, this, or this thing that he's saying is actually what... Uh, I, I came across this week somebody telling me what the whole Bible was about in three words. So they said, the Bible is about, uh, in three words, God with us. And at first I was like, is that even right? Like, let me kind of like cross-check that. And uh, the more I leaned, in, in, leaned into it, the more I realized that is the story of the Scriptures. And so what David is singing about here is not a one-off lyric. It's actually what all of the Bible is pointing us towards. God's presence. And so you can look, you can trace it from Genesis to Revelation. We'll trace it real quickly. If you go to Genesis chapter, chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. You can turn there if you'd like. You can pause and turn there. Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so he says there's two, two things happening there for, for uh, the creation, your creation as a human being, our creation as a species. He, he's saying, hey, w w human beings, they were made to be in the image of God and in the likeness of God. So he says uh, image, that, that communicates representation. And so an image in, in, uh, in the ancient context would be like a statue that's put in a place to represent the authority of a king. And so it's this representative rule that we were meant to have over creation. Um, and so we're meant to represent God. But then likeness actually communicates relationship. And so Adam and Eve are spoken of here like God's children who are in his likeness. That's what that's being communicated there. It's not just that we're meant to be these disconnected kind of representatives in a far-off land, but they actually were made for relationship with God. And it's that relationship that gets fractured when Adam and Eve and 
a few chapters later in Genesis 3, after they reject God's good authority, uh, they, they look for life apart from him. In Genesis 3.8, it says this concerning God's presence. Look at this. And they heard the sound. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I read that and I was just floored. Because I was like, this, this is not just a one-off lyric that David is singing. This is actually what the, now the scriptures are telling us that the problem, what sin, what, what happens after we rejected God's authority is that we lose his presence. We're removed from God's presence. So you can see later on in, in that chapter, they're, they're actually taken out of the garden. They're removed from the presence of God. It's not the fruit or the trees or the, the views that make the garden the garden. It's God's presence with them. And so that's our big problem. That's the big problem that actually comes through over the course of all of these scriptures is this, uh, is this idea of needing to recover God's presence to be with him again. And so that doesn't happen because mankind, all of a sudden, somebody rises to the top and they finally figure it out. They, get, they crack the code on how we can be good enough and uh, strong enough and smart enough to be with God again. Uh, that's not what happens. That's a moral view of the scriptures, and that's not the, that's not the lens that we see it through. The actual lens is the lens of redemption. And that, that redemption happens because God comes to us. He puts on flesh. That's what, this, that's what Jesus, is, that's what he's doing. It says he's Emmanuel, God with us. He comes to be with us and redeem us so that we can be with God forever. Do you see that? And then if you skip to the very end of the whole thing, uh, where all of history, the, the river that all of history is flowing to, the, the destination of all of it, Revelation 21. You can stop and turn to Revelation chapter 21. It's at the very end of the Bible. 21.3 says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Do you see how the story ends? It starts, God with us. We lose his presence, and then it ends back with God with us. We get to be with him. That's what the story is about is his presence. And so the, how, how, what do we do with this truth then, the application of this? Well, I tell you, if the story is about God with us, then my life is actually meant to be organized around ways I can be with God. That's actually what my life should be organized around, is this uh, ways that I can be with God, reorienting my life and my routines and my habits and my structures in order to be with God. And that's why there's an urgency for me with this moment for you. Uh, for us, for myself, there's an urgency because this season that we're in is going to pass. I don't know what it's going to look like on the other side. I don't know how normalcy is going to find its way back in, but there will, become, there, will, there will find its way back in some kind of normal routines and rhythms and structures that will be built back into your schedule. And you might, we might miss it. That's what I feel this urgency about. We might miss the disruption this might be a once-in-a-lifetime disruption in your schedule and your routines and your rhythms. It might be a once-in-a-lifetime disruption. And I, I don't, it's not that I'm saying I think the disruption actually is going to help you connect with God, that the ways that life are, are you know, the, the things are being disrupted and confused and where there's uh, fear and all that stuff creeping into our moment. I don't think that that's necessarily helping you connect with God. 
Anytime somebody tells me right now that they're just like, there's a lot of stillness and a lot of quiet, I'm thinking, our lives are not the same because we have, have little kids. But it doesn't really matter if, if it's, you know, the problems that ha- come with having a young family or the problems that come with having a, 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 being empty nesters or in being single or living alone. Like, there, there's problems that come with all of them. Some people are experiencing isolation that's crushing. There, there is too much stillness and quiet and disconnection, I, I, and I feel you on that. Um, and so I'm not saying that uh, one life stage has more of a problem than the other. I'm saying all life stages are experiencing problems right now. Um, but it's, they're, they're problems that come with, from disruption in your normal rhythms and routines. And it's not that the disruption is helping you connect with God. It's, it's that your life, uh, the, 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 the disruption might actually allow you to reshape your routines your structures, your habits, reorganize your life around the thing that you were actually made for, being with God. You were made for it. And, and this moment might actually have be creating just enough disruption to reshape some things that need to be reshaped to reinforce the thing that you were made for. Habits and routines and rhythms, these things reinforce uh, our attention on, uh, they, re- they reinforce what we're worshiping. And, uh, and so I'll tell you this way, this is, how, this is how I would think about it for you and for me in this moment that we get to have where, hey, we, we've been disrupted and we have a chance to reorient, so don't miss the chance. And, and so the way that I've thought about this is from Numbers chapter 2. Uh, Numbers is a book in the Old Testament near the front of the Bible. And uh, in a word, you would, could describe Numbers as wandering. It's a 40-year it's a stretch where God's people, they take a, t- a detour through the wilderness, like a 40-year camping trip, uh, because they didn't trust him enough to follow him into the promised land. It's not a fun camping trip. It's a wandering through the desert, through the wilderness. And, um, and they, they didn't trust him enough to follow him into the promised land. So they have this 40-year camping trip. And, uh, and so here's what it tells us uh, about how God tells them in the midst of wandering, in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of all this, here's how you... Uh, orient your life. Look at this. It says this, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, the leaders of God's people, saying, the people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's houses. So they're organized by sort of their relation, their clans, their family lines. And so they're going to live with their different family lines. But it says this, they shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. So whichever side of this tent you're on, you're going to camp with your front door facing this tent. And this tent of meeting is not where the Israelites met with one another. It's where they met with God. It's where his presence is for them. And so they, God tells them, hey, I want you to put your front door so that every morning when you come out, this is what you see, my presence. And every night when you go to bed before you go in, the last thing that you see is my presence. Whether it's a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire, what you're going to know is that I'm with you and that you're going to experience my presence. That's what I want for you to, to, to see and to face every single morning, every single evening is this, my presence. And so this, this description has got me thinking about something called a rule of life, which honestly is it's a pretty dominant conversation for a lot of uh, Christians right now, and it feels like a real hipster Christian thing to talk about, if I'm honest. But if you cut through some of that, just the hipness of it all, there's something behind that that's really important for us, because it's, 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 
I think that what's gotten me tripped up on it for most of the time is that it sounds like rules for life instead of rule of life. And so I'm like, what is this? It sounds like a, it's going to be an empty kind of a, a legalistic way of trying to earn God's approval. And it's not what it's about at all. This is actually a better way of describing this, I think, is actually um, what, what the word rule meant to get at is like this idea of a trellis, how you can organize, structure, um, orient your life, your days, your time to be with God. How can you intentionally define your boundaries and your rhythms, your routines, habits, in order to be with God? And so the way that I've been trying to think about it, the way that I think, I'm trying to get this in a way that you can just take this after, after you're done here, really think on it and engage with this, write some things down and take an action, apply this to your life. What little traditions can you build into your day to face your tense towards God's presence so you can orient your life to be with God. And I would specifically ask you, how can you, how can you, uh, how can you th- think about little traditions, little rhythms or routines or habits? Habits are hard because the habits are built over a period of time. So I wouldn't even think about them as habits because you can't just say, I'm going to start a habit today. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. How can I take a little step and try to take that step over and over and over again, specifically at the beginning and the end of the day? How can you anchor your days with God's presence? And, and I want to just remind you that Hebrews 12 says it this way. He says that we, he's talking about how we're running this race and we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so he tells us to throw away or throw aside every weight or sin that easily entangles. And those are two different things. He's saying, hey, there's things in your life that they're not bad things, but they're keeping you from running towards Jesus. They're keeping you from engaging with him. And there's sin. There's things that are really the rejection of God's authority, distrust of him. There's these things that are specifically going to keep you from his presence. And so how it might be you know, anything good or sinful that you're going to let go of, push away, turn away from so that you can be with God. What is it that's holding you back from being in his presence, specifically in the, in the beginning and the end of your day? And so I'll close by just reminding you of uh, why, why you're able to be in God's presence and why you're seeking his presence. You're able to be in his presence because Jesus has already finished a righteous work on your behalf. He's already made a way for you to come into God's presence. You don't just get to show up there. Uh, honestly, our hearts are too sinful to show up there, and so we can't be in His presence apart from this, that Jesus has lived a life that's perfect and died a death on your, uh, died a death on your behalf and then rose again from the dead. And so now you can, with confidence, enter into God's presence. Not because you're good enough. Not because you've been getting it right not because you even intend to get it right from now on, but because of what Jesus has already finished on your behalf. You can go to God's presence. You can be with God. So that's why you can. And remember what David told you of why you're looking for it. Don't look for fullness of joy other places. They're all lies. Fullness of joy is found in His presence. It's what you were made for. We're going to put a few questions up after this for you to reflect on ways that you can try to actually build this into your life. But I would get out a pen and a paper and think about how you can uh, organize your life, especially in the beginning and the end of your days, to be with God. It's what you were made for. It's what I want for you most, church. Love you.